Okay, hello. Welcome to episode 209 of Sack King's Therapy. Uh, in this episode, we the main event is going to be the Kings versus Mavericks 2003 Game 1 uh, Western Conference Semifinals. You know, this will be a Kings rewatch, a rewind of the golden era of the Kings. And yeah, we do this one every year. Last year, we did a uh, Game 6 of the infamous 2002 playoffs against the Lakers. And then uh, the year before, we did Game 7. So this is the third iteration of this. We do this annually. And this year, uh, since we're out of uh, Kings and Lakers games to do, I mean, we could do Game 5, but I kind of don't. I mean, we can at some point. But I, instead, I chose uh, Kings versus Mavs uh, Game 1, 2003. And if you guys don't know the significance of this game, well, there really isn't a significance, but it is the last game where we get a healthy prime Chris, Chris Webber. So that's what we're going to be going over. And then afterwards, we're going to go over the schedule. And then, yeah, we'll just, and then we'll just, I guess, if we have any extra topics to talk about at the end, we'll talk about that too. Um, of course, I did ramble on a little longer, but I will introduce my co-host now. He, he is Fong. Hello. Okay, before we actually get started, uh, I want to just uh, pay tribute to Pete Carroll. Uh, Pete Carroll was, uh, he, I believe he is the inventor of the Princeton offense. He, he coached at Princeton, and, it, and it's kind of a, now, not a, not a lot of teams run what we call pure Princeton offense, but there's a lot of principles that have been kind of, I guess, devolved from the Princeton offense in terms of the movement patterns and all that, but specifically with the Kings. Pete Carroll kind of unlocked a lot of Chris Webber's game because remember, before Chris Webber was traded here, he really did not like playing center and he wanted to kind of do kind of quirky stuff. He wanted to, you know, do the high post, the shooting and all that stuff, and also not guard centers because he's a pretty, he's, a, he's small for a center. So he didn't want to like bang down there all the time. But Pete Carroll kind of talked him into, you know, and essentially embracing the role, but also to kind of like embrace the quirkiness of Chris Webber's game, aka his, you know, behind the back passes and kind of just like some of his uh, high post scoring and passing. So, you know, that's kind of, and then, of course, if you talk to anyone within like the Kings organization during that time, they love Pete. Like he was a fixture within the organization. And again, just a kind of a pioneer, a kind of a guy that kind of, you know, um, just kind of led the way for kind of the revolution that the Kings would go upon, like during that era. Yeah, it's sad to hear another passing, but you know what? Without him, who knows what the Kings would have been like for the next, you know, pretty much the golden era. Yeah, and again, just a, a kind of a pioneer that I feel, well, like, at, at least for me, I didn't know who he was like mm -hmm. and you know again you got to pay respects to the legends of the game and we are we are very sad that you know again another as you said another passing um we just had recently had bill russell and unfortunately you know a week after we get Pete carroll so you know um you know condolences to his family and you know uh rest in power mm -hmm. okay well let's get started with the game so 2003 the 2003 kings they had lost uh, in the conference finals last year and basically were, um, you know, they basically didn't do really anything to their roster. They basically came back with essentially the same team and decided to just kind of like run it back. And overall, they were 
a better team, even though they they won one less game, they were still the number one. Uh, there's I think they were the number one seed. It says they're the number one. Uh, they're they're the number one in the Pacific Division because the Lakers decided to kind of coast during the season. And, you know, they were still a force to be reckoned with. And honestly, like judging from this game, they were ready to win a championship. Oh, yeah. Uh, not that I think about it. I think Dallas was above us. Uh, I think a game above um, in the seedings uh, spots, I think. Let me just check really quickly. Win loss, Western Conference. No, oh well, no. This is division. That's why I hate divisions. Like, who uses divisions? Yeah, we don't. We don't. I mean, I don't think the NBA pays attention to divisions that much. Besides, okay. The- okay so I'm looking at this. It looks like San Antonio and Dallas are tied, and it looks like the San Antonio is actually the number one seed, and then Dallas is number two. Yeah, I forgot who how they um, determine which one is <laughs> one or two if they are the same, uh, I guess, win-loss percentage. Well, judging from just who is above the other, so it looks like San Antonio is better in their division. <laughs> um, so I'm guessing they're the number one seed. Who gives a shit? But ultimately, yes. Um, yeah, so the Kings, and I think they were the third seed, and they won their first round matchup. I, I, I think it was against the Sonics, I believe. I don't, I, I should have looked this up, but um, basically, they won their first. Uh, no, Sonics weren't even in the playoffs. Who did we beat? Hmm. I'm not going to do the math. No, the Jazz. That's who they beat. They beat the Jazz in the first round, um, and they move on to the semifinal to face the number two seed Dallas Mavericks. And I can, I could not believe when I looked this up the number one offense in the league uh, during this year. Yeah, after watching this game, and we'll go over it. Yeah, it's kind of hard to believe. Uh, kind of. Um, then again, this is only a small sample size, but I guess I could see it in some ways uh, looking at the roster. But it's it's kind of hard to believe compared to other teams, right? Like looking at this game, you would have thought the Kings were the number one, like by a huge margin, because the Kings were number six in offense. They were, you know, they're not, they're no slouch. Kings also, this is, you know, something we hope to see at some point, number two in defense. Yeah, which I could see that in some ways, but I'm still surprised that we're that high, to be honest. Yeah. And so that kind of sets the stage for this game, you know, two high powered offenses. And two very, very good, and one, you know, top two defense and another defense that I believe they were number six. Let me just check. Uh, no, the Dallas Mavericks were number nine. So still a top 10, a top 10 defense, a top, a number one offense and a top 10 defense. Like you're on a clash, a crash course with a very good team. And yeah, that will basically set the stage for this clash. So let, let, let's get started with the game. So in the, in the first quarter, basically it, kind of is a little bit back and forth but you uh you very early see Chris Weber is going to dominate his matchup he was guarded by Eduardo Mahara or Majera Mahara is what I heard on the broadcast and he just pumped that guy he really did and then they switched uh Dirk onto him nope like no love there they put Sean Bradley on him just gets dominated Chris Weber was a problem yeah, and t- I mean, especially how they played their defense. I believe uh, we're talking about it. it. They played a lot of zone against the Kings, and you know 
playing zone against Weber, I, <laughs> he's going to find his way to make his shot. And I mean, his favorite shot is the mid range. Yeah. And like, so he can hit the mid range, but like you just mentioned, they could go to zone, like maybe to double him, but Weber's a really good passer. So you can't actually really do that. And there were moments where like, they just passed it on to someone who's just open, like under the basket, like Jerry and uh, Jerry and Grant Napier. were just talking about, this is a freaking layup drill out here. Like throughout mm-hmm. the game, mm-hmm. and yeah, and then you look at um, the the Dallas offense. It was fine to start, but then like they start missing shots, and the Kings just they just kept rolling. Like they jump out to a big lead. They end the quarter thirty three to 20, 24. Like their offense was on a roll. Their defense was just doing its thing. And again, they had nothing for Weber. Yeah, it looked real easy for them out there. Not gonna lie. Um, of course, they had some misses, but I mean, for the most part, yeah, it just looked like a, I don't want to say it is, but it looked like a practice game, really. And like, this is kind of the kind of thing that you always see kind of exposed in the playoffs. Like when you have a bad defender, like they actually have two really bad defenders. Steve Nash is not exactly great historically either. But like when you have a bad defender, usually you can get away with that in the regular season. Like, you know, you're just not playing against good teams, but in this game, when you are playing against a championship team, they hunted the shit out of Dirk. Dirk was just barbecued chicken, just written all over. He might as well be wearing like a like a chicken costume because it was it was barbecue. It was like lunchtime every time I saw him guard a guy, and that guy would just get right by him. Page up like like went by him like I thought it was mean to a certain degree what Page did, and then of course like he had to guard Weber, and they had to go to zone just to protect Dirk. And while, like, it wasn't all Dirk's fault, like, when they went to zone, every single breakdown felt like it had something to do with him. Even it may not, even though it's, like, not, like, technically his fault that that guy scored, but, like, something would just, he would just be involved somehow. And, yeah, he was just barbecue chicken. He, like, you know, as a term that I keep hearing, he was just food. But he was, like, food with extra seasoning and, like, you know, with, like, extra sides, extra sauce. Like, it was just it was just mean what the Kings were doing to him. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. It seemed like he was kind of wearing away from the paint at most times just to, you know, protect these guys. Because most of the time, all we've been doing is just shooting mid-ranges and threes. We, I, I think we rarely went into the paint unless it's in the fast break uh, transition play. However, on offense, Dirk did uh, have a bit of success. He did score eight points in the first quarter. Good for him. Uh, but again, just gave up gave up almost twice the amount <laughs> just with his defense. And mm-hmm. yeah, like again, layup drills. King's offense was just rolling. Oh, yeah. Uh, moving on to the second quarter. Uh, I'm not sure if he checked in in the first quarter, but Nick Van Exel checks in and immediately gives everyone a spark. He played uh, six minutes in the first quarter. I didn't notice him in the first quarter, but... Like he came, he came in and just get, it automatically gave uh, the Dallas Mavericks a huge spark, and he was honestly like the only guy that could really score on the Mavs. It felt like. Yeah, it seemed like he was the only guy that had any sort of confidence when it came to scoring too. Like, when you see his plays, he just drove him himself and you know tried to make something for himself, and you know it worked out really. Yeah, uh, like he just kept getting to the rim. Like I felt like I, I think I I think I knew why because like I felt like they should have put Doug on him because Doug was like an All NBA defender, one of the best defenders in the league at this point, and they just don't 
they just don't put him on him. I think they were putting him on Nash to kind of contain him. But like it was, but again, like Nick Van Exel, like he would do this the entire series, just absolutely torch the Kings. And in this game, like he had more shots than Dirk and like was a problem. Like they scored about the same amount, but like it's, you know, like it just felt like he was way more impactful than Dirk was. Mm-hmm. Which makes me wonder why I guess they didn't start him and because he came off the bench as the sixth man so i'm okay with that stuff like i I, like whoever comes off the bench is whoever comes off the bench like sometimes it's a rhythm thing like let's just say like your first team your stars just don't have it going well you have a guy that coming off the bench that could always get things going that's why bobby jackson came off the bench like he's a Mm -hmm. spark plug type guy so Mm -hmm. i i get it it didn't really matter to me like and again they kind of needed they kind of needed um you know, uh, Van Exel to do something off the bench. And oh, yeah, yeah, he was, he was great. Oh yeah. Um, I hate to keep Pollard on Dirk, but like Dirk, like he, he did, I don't think he actually went to the rim much. There was a few possessions where like he got the offensive rebound and put it back in, but like he, he, I can see why people call him soft because he settled for a lot of jump shots this game. Like, and it's also very weird during this era the teams just didn't like they didn't like shooting threes all that much like there were multiple moments where like guys would be shooting shots like you know off, with their feet on the line instead of like taking just half a step back to get the three and like th- there were so many moments where Dirk would like not shoot the open three in rhythm but instead like you know takes one dribble and you know pulls up for a mid-range instead of like getting to the rim and like a lot of the times like it didn't it didn't look comfortable honestly yeah, I would say that's the case for both sides because, I mean, there's a lot of mid-ranges where, I mean, you could really take a few steps back and, you know, attempt a three. And I'm pretty sure most of these guys are, you know, great three-point shooters. But, I mean, it, it was a different game. I guess the mid-range was, the, I guess, more efficient shot throughout the league. <laughs> so, I mean, who knows why? Um, so the, the other guy I got it, we got to talk about a very well-known name. Steve Nash was on this team. He was mm-hmm. good at this point, but in this game, it was just, it was a weird game for him. Like in the first quarter, I have no notes on him, but in the second quarter, he kept driving to the rim and actually getting to the rim and actually has a few open layups that granted, like, I think they would have been guarded pretty well had he tried to shoot it, but he would always try to pass every time he got into the, got into the lane. And he would just turn it over a lot. Now, ultimately, he ended up only being credited with three turnovers, but it felt like he had seven this game. Like, he he just kept turning it over. And, you know, you kind of see kind of the issue with him. He's a very unselfish player. He's trying to set up the offense, set up his teammates more. But the reality is, like, if you go beyond Dirk, Nick Van Exel, uh, Steve Nash, and, you know, Michael Finley's a good player. After that, it is a it is kind of it is a huge drop off. You got to find like the next best player. You have four guys, and then it's like a bunch of guys that I've never heard of. Adrian Griffin, I've heard. Raja Bell, I've heard. But like Raja Bell's young, and I think Adrian Griffin's pretty old at this point. Like it's a huge drop off after those four players. And like again, I get what Steve Nash is trying to do, but at a certain point, he's got to keep just keep shooting because he actually shot well this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in terms of the team, I think they need to step up <laughs> because, I mean, besides what, uh, besides the players that you mentioned, yeah, I mean, the rest of the team was just didn't it didn't feel like you couldn't feel the impact 
And uh, in terms of like the turnovers and steals that the Kings got from the Dallas Mavericks, I mean, it kind of contributed a lot to uh, their, you know, I guess offensive flow too. And also, like they like the Mavericks would also like you know try to like make a run. They would actually make quite a few runs during this game to try and get back into the game. But but always they would just do something weird. Again, Steve Nash drives to the rim and just turns the ball over. And that would kill the run. And that's kind of how like the the end of the quarter kind of ended. Like they start making a little bit of a run. They get it, they get a stop, they they score on the other end, and then they give up two offensive rebounds to end the quarter. And it leads to a pretty devastating three from Bibby to go up 12. And like that felt like that felt like the starting of like just you know the end of the game already. Mm-hmm. Uh now that you mentioned about the second quarter. Did you have any notes about Bobby Jackson? Because I don't think he did much this quarter when he checked in. I felt like he scored, but like it wasn't like anything crazy. He wasn't like an absolute mm-hmm. force. He actually had nine points in the in the in the second quarter, but like he's just I guess like a more constant force as opposed to like an absolute barrage, you know? Yeah. And also the, the rest of the team was were playing really well. Like, like I just said how Dirk was food. Like Keon Clark even was like, it's time to eat. Like they mm. fed him the ball and he scored a few times on Dirk. It, it, it was legitimately embarrassing. Yeah, it was kind of weird because in the second quarter, I noticed that Dallas started playing small. And then later, later when the Sacramento Kings uh, starters checked in, uh, we put Weber as our center this time around. And it kind of evened out because um, I guess, uh, however, Dallas. Uh, manage their offense in their uh, bench and uh, having Dirk at the five. I mean, <laughs> it worked out for the most part, not until the starters came back. This is kind of the issue. Like this is a young Dirk. I think like Dirk, you know, later on in his career will be able to kind of take advantage of these kinds of miss quote unquote mismatches, even though I don't think Weber would be a mismatch against Dirk. Dirk, Dirk like is a very good shooter if he can shoot in rhythm. But he's not a guy that I feel can get to his spot and just take his shot just yet. Uh-huh. Like he would have to be open and in rhythm for his shots. If there's like even like remotely a guy in his area, he he he's gonna get bothered by that guy. And like even the, like you know even if you match up Dirk against uh, Weber, like you know on like with Dirk on offense, like he still can't really get to his spots like really efficiently. And again, he's he's not a guy that like gets to the rim all that much. He likes to settle for pull-ups and yeah, like again, just can't get to a spot and he can't abuse that matchup because Weber is not a great defender for the most part, but like he's still good enough to be able to hold his own against a young Dirk. Yeah, I guess uh, we'll see when I guess Dirk flourishes. Yeah, uh, well, I don't think we'll, re- we'll be reviewing any maps games anytime soon. So yeah, <laughs> but, but you know, like it really doesn't happen until 2011. Really, like <laughs> like the, all the other years, like 2007 was embarrassing for Dirk. Dirk just like they it basically, if you don't you don't know the history about the of the We Believe Warriors, that was coached by Nelly, who is the coach of this uh, Mavericks team. It just felt like Nelly basically said, "Hey, this Dirk dude, he's the MVP. I know, but he's soft." And you guys are going to punk him. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah, like, it's all, uh, 2007, like 2011 made up for it. But like 2007 was so bad for Dirk. Yeah, which is weird because Dirk has been in the league for, 
I mean, at this point, not too long, but I mean, for him to develop something into something that way, into uh, winning that championship uh, that year, it's kind of it's kind of weird <laughs> to hear. Yeah, it is. It is one of the rare stories of like a very late like career development. And, you know, it just kind of shows like people don't exactly stop improving. They always make like little little tweaks to their game to, you know, make themselves better. And like, you know, we don't see it all the time, but it does happen. But like, yeah, it took him a while to really be kind of, you know, bring up that killer instinct is what I like to call it. Because in 2011, he was a killer. Mm -hmm. Like you just again against a Miami team that is like very a lot more talented than they are. They absolutely outplayed them. And oh, yeah. a lot of it was Dirk, but like here is a young Dirk. Like he was drafted in 1998. So he would be in his seventh season at this point, I believe. No, 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 geez, I can't do math. The fifth season. So basically he'd be the same time, basically kind of the same age around where De'Aaron Fox is. And again, at this point, he's not even like developed at all, which, you know, since we're talking about De'Aaron, like I'm looking forward to seeing what improvement improvements he makes. Like, you know, guys don't always plateau like we think they do. And growth isn't always linear. And you never know what a guy can turn into. Yeah, we'll have to see about that. But as a team for, you know, Sacramento this season, I mean, it looks very promising. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, so moving on to the second half, uh, the maps into the third quarter. The Mavs just don't have any answer for Weber. He just abuses every single big man. We like talked about how he like Mahara cannot guard him. Dirk cannot guard him. Sean Bradley has no hope against him. Like Weber literally scored over him like it was nothing. Um, And yeah, he was just an absolute problem. And, you know, it just makes me question. What doesn't make me question at all. I kind of like I would make the prediction had Weber not gotten hurt. You know, Kings probably would have absolutely killed the Mavs. And probably killed them, like you know, beat them in five games. Um, but yeah, so they didn't they just don't have a matchup for Weber. Uh, and then Nash continues to turn the ball over, and it just keep kept leading to runouts. You kept mentioning fast breaks. This was where like Jerry and Grant on commentary just kept rubbing it in the uh, Mavericks' face. And just saying, like, it's an absolute layup drill, just layup practice, just it's just you know, turnover, layup, layup, layup. And it basically leads to the game being being broken open. And like the Mavs crowd starts booing and they start to fall apart. And yeah, this was when like the Kings were just feeling themselves and uh, the game was over at the 7-10 mark, basically, mm-hmm. in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, th- I don't think we've ever mentioned Peja yet. And, you know, Peja was our leading scorer this game. And he was, I mean, he didn't do too well in the three-point area but when it came to transition and you know the steals and turnovers that Dallas were making I mean Pager was already in the other side of the court making that easy layup or dunk I mean I can't even count how many times he's done that already throughout this whole game and it felt like he did like maybe two or three times in a row in just the dirt court itself like, I, I mean, I just talked about how, like, you know, Dirk can't abuse the matchup of, like, him or, of like, Dirk can't abuse the matchup with um, Chris Webber guarding him. He couldn't even abuse Peja. Like, it was just how, like, kind of premature, I guess, his growth was. Like, there was some success early on with, like, the Steve Nash and Dirk pick and roll, and they would get, you know, like, uh, Doug on Dirk, and it would lead to some good shot. 
But like, again, he's, he's not at his development. He can't abuse that matchup. And then on the other end, he can easily be abused. Like, I hate to keep shitting on him, but like his defensive game is terrible and his offensive game is just not where it needs to be. Like, especially like looking at what Dirk would turn into, it just really sticks out. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's just a weird sight to see how Dirk ended up or started out, I guess. Um, so the, it was so bad for the Mavs that the Mavs only had one rebound in the quarter at 504. Like the Kings were missing and they weren't getting any rebounds and Kings were feasting on offensive rebounds as well. Um, only after going down 28, the fat, the Mavs finally kind of stopped the bleeding. It only, the bleed only got as bad as 28, but they, that's when they start to kind of make a little bit of a run, but it was all too little too late. And basically, the Kings would just kind of go to their, you know, old reliable Chris Webber in the post. They have nobody for him. So, you know, let's go down there and eat. And every and again, every time the Mavericks make make a run, they pretty much always end up doing something really stupid. This this one by Michael Finley was really bad at the 215 mark. Um Michael Finley drive or he gets a pass from someone, gets stripped. It was clean. It was not a foul. It, he gets stripped, fouls the guy while while the Kings were in the bonus, and to add insult to injury, gets a technical. Now, granted, Peja didn't make all three free throws. He made two out of three. But, like, that's the kind of stupid shit you can't have when you're trying to come back. And the, the Mavs just didn't have it this game. They didn't have the mental aspect, and they just were not able to kind of cut into the lead at all like with, by just making just stupid mistakes like that. Yeah, there was a lot of points in the game where it's like man the kings kept on going further further away ahead that to a point where i'm surprised we're keeping the starters out to be honest yeah i mean like i'm looking at like the minutes played vladi only played 15 minutes mm-hmm. but like you know he was great plus 18 like but like they we didn't even need him out there he just did he just kind of like chilled really like while he was out there and again like the Kings were like, again, the Mavs were falling apart and they got just Kings just got layup after layup after layup. But in on the fast break in the half court, it was just layup season. Like it, it, it like they were just getting easy shots. And then like on the on the other end, like the Mavs just kept shooting jump shots. And honestly, the wrong guy would shoot the jump shot like Steve Nash. I have mentioned like his main contribution, like during this, like at this point in the game is just turning the ball over. But every time he shot the ball, it felt like it was going to go in. And the only issue I have with him is that he didn't shoot enough. Like, you know, I, you know, not even trying to, like, throw shade at the guy. But, like, he reminds me a lot of Tyrese at this point. Like, a guy that really should be scoring a lot more. But is, you know, his naturally unselfish and just naturally wants to set up his teammates. And, and like, but while with the fact, however, is that he is the best scorer well, he's probably not the best scorer, but he's the best shooter out there and should take more shots instead of, you know, passing it off to someone else who is a lot more, a lot less likely to be able to make the shot. But that's just his nature here. He hadn't figured it out. And yeah, he was just, it just felt like he was invisible. But like, th- I just felt like the more he shot, the better the Mavs were, honestly. Mm-hmm. And that probably goes the same with Dirk. And I'm pretty sure you mentioned this already, but he should also be taking a lot more shots, but he was just too timid to make those kind of shots that he would have uh, or should have made. 
Um, but yeah, the one person who, you know, shot the most really was Nick Van Exel. And he was the only one that actually had the confidence to even make something happen. But you look down that list, you look at the field goal attempts, like, you know, um, yeah, as you said, Nick Van Exel with 19 shots, Michael Finley with 17 shots, even though he is a scorer. But you look at like the third and the fourth, Steve Nash with 15 and uh, Dirk with 13 shot attempts, like you need to shoot more. Even though, like, they both shot over 50%, by the way. That's even more frustrating if you're, like, a Mavs fan. Like, you guys – no, you guys shoot the shot. Not not La, La France, not Mahara, not Adrian Griffin, and, you know, other – like, Sean Bradley. Like, you guys need to shoot those shots. You guys are the best scorers. Yeah, it is what it is. But, I mean, who, who knows why they didn't shoot. Uh, that made shots. It didn't seem like uh, the Kings defense did, made that much of an impact, but I guess it scared them away to a point where they didn't want to risk it. And again, like Steve Nash kept driving to the rim and just turning it over and credit to the Kings defense for just kind of, you know, forming a shell around the rim, like not making it easy. And, you know, that, and that's the thing when like you start, you start missing your jump shots, the defense starts to tighten and like it, it, that's when the route kind of goes on. I actually had a few moments during this game where like, I was, I was like saying, oh, the, the Kings are falling apart. Oh, no, it's the Mavs. Because I'm so used to seeing the Kings do this kind of shit where, you know, they start missing shots. They start like the, the paint starts tighten. They can't get they can't like get into the into the lane. They start taking bad shots. The bad shots lead to runouts. And that's when they fall apart. Like it was it is like very weirdly reminiscent. And again, it's actually shocked me to see that the maps were the number one offense. Didn't feel like it. Like when guys don't hit shots, you don't have a good offense. That's just how it works, right? It, you know, yeah. I know Einstein. I don't know. That's like a really big revelation, but that's just how it is. Yeah, that definitely is. Uh, okay, so that was basically the third quarter. The the like, yeah, the Kings got out to a twenty eight point lead. The Mavs just fell apart, and then the fourth quarter. Now, in the fourth quarter is an interesting time because the, the Mavs actually scored 37 points and the Kings only scored 26, but the game was already over and the, King, the Kings just kind of let their foot off the gas a little bit and kind of let the Mavs kind of make a few runs, but it was just too little too late. Um, I think, let me see if I have the time. Uh, so the so basically, um, Nelly sits uh, Nash and Dirk at the 535 mark even though like they, the mouse managed to cut the lead down to 17 and they basically waved the right white flag at that point. And the Kings kind of had to work a little bit to kind of close out that game, but yeah, um, a bit of a, a dominant performance from the Kings and yeah, like it is, it is kind of refreshing to see like the Kings be, you know, be kind of the veteran team. And, you know, they, they were just farther into development than, you know, this version of the Mavs were. And they were ready for prime time. And the Mavs, despite having an incredible regular season, they were not ready for prime time. They were the, they're kind of the Utah Jazz, if you will, of, of this, of this generation. And yeah, it, it would take a little bit more before they became that team that was the actual championship contender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forgot to ask. Were they uh, playoff contenders uh, in previous seasons? Uh, I I would have to check. Uh, let me see. Let me see. If I can let me see. If I can quickly find it. You you talk. I'll try to find out. Yeah, but during that fourth quarter, I thought, in my opinion, uh, that's where Bobby Johnson kind of flourished a lot. 
um even though like uh the kings kind of got a lot of like i don't want to say bad calls from the rest but you know it's calls that you gotta live with and you know you're already way high up uh, bobby jackson felt pretty unstoppable in uh the uh i guess the beginning part of the fourth quarter um just kept on stripping guys making a three-point shot and just he he was just unstoppable when weber came in uh, that's this is where what i was kind of surprised uh that we're playing weber in the fourth quarter is because when he checked in like pretty much within the minute he already got his fifth foul with and at that point i would be like eh we might as well just rest Weber, but no, Weber pretty much played pretty much uh, most of the fourth quarter, really. And, you know, he wasn't doing too hot offensively, but I mean, his defense was still pretty uh, prevalent for the most part, really. I don't know if you caught. I mean, again, like they had let their foot out the gas pedal. They just weren't playing as hard because they were up so much. And (laughs) it was just like, yeah, I, I think it was, uh, I mean, with hindsight, they probably shouldn't have played him that much, like, to end the game. But it, it is what it is sometimes. Like, the Mavs were legitimately kind of making a run. Yeah. And, you know, you ha- you want you want Weber out there just in case something happened. The other option would have been, been to put Vladi out there. But Vladi is pretty old at this point, And you don't want to, like, you know, you know, wear out his knees. And, mm-hmm. you know, not, not, to, not to even, like, I guess, I mean, again, Weber gets a knee injury the next game, but like, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's just one of those things. They were making a legitimate run. <laughs> I get it. So he was, he was out there. Yeah. I wish I remembered like how big of a lead we had when they had that run, but I felt like it wasn't too significant for the point to the point where uh, we should have played uh, Weber with his fifth foul because I'm, I'm actually surprised he, uh, which I'm call didn't get his six in certain plays, but then again, he his defense kind of it was there, but not like to a point where he would want to get that six foul. Um, yeah, but ultimately, I just think like they had no answer for Weber, and it it is very sad that he gets injured the next game. But because again, like they, he would have absolutely destroyed the Mavs, like they had nothing for him. And of course, they like it's unlikely they absolutely destroy them every single game. But again, a guy they had absolutely no answer for, like you can't argue that he wouldn't he wouldn't have made a huge difference. And Kings probably win this series and arguably could win the next series. And like New Jersey, I guess, like maybe puts up a fight. <laughs> um, however, uh, you know, to give New Jersey a little bit of credit, number one in defense this year. Yeah, that that's uh, I mean number eighteenth in offense, but you know let, let's not talk about that. <laughs> but like they, they like the fact that like it, it again they had the Mavericks had no no like no option to really guard Weber, and like again the Kings had them had a mental edge over this re- very very good Dallas team and absolutely shut them down and took them out of their game and played mind games with them. So let's mm-hmm. like. They were they were legit. This Kings team was legit. Oh yeah, and for I want to say most of the game, but Dallas's passing too was, I want to say pretty reminiscent of the Showtime Kings. But I mean, they made some pretty nice passes uh, to each other uh, as well. Even though you know they had that high, um, it wasn't high turnover percentage, but I mean, just not so great plays 
to, for uh, you said the Kings or the Mavs? The Mavs. You said Mavs. Really, the Mavs. Really. I I thought they had pretty nice passes. Not gonna lie. Like to me, when I was watching the Kings side, it's like very, like I guess, coerced or even concise uh, plays compared to what we're kind of used to to Showtime. Then again, I mean, the Showtime Kings is like what how many years old now since uh whatchamacallit white chocolate was around i I mean yeah sure i mean they were the number one offense so like there were there were like you know um flashes of that great offense but again like when you when you just don't make outside shots the defense starts to kind of clock the lane and the the passing lane just aren't there so I don't know. I, I thought their I thought their passing was very mad this game. Like there was a lot of sticking, like the ball getting sticky, especially with Steve Nash of all people. Mm-hmm. And again, they just weren't making shots. So like offense just didn't look good. Oh and yeah, yeah. That's kind of my. I mean, like again, like the, my main takeaway is that the Kings were ready for prime time in, in this era or in this version of the Kings, and they again pumped the pumped the number two seed. Even though they were the lower seed, and they were they were showing like their vet their veteran savviness and just you know how, like again they were ready to win a championship while the Mavs were just a cute story like in this game. Yeah, if only Weber didn't get injured, but I guess we'll never know what would have happened afterwards. I guess. Yeah, like I think they would have had a chance against you know San Antonio. Because like San Antonio, I think I think they have Manu this year. I, I don't remember. I don't think they have Tony yet. But like no. they they were a pretty like mediocre offense all on their own. Like let me check their uh, offense rating real quick. So they were number so they were number seven. They were just behind the Kings. But I remember that version of like the San Antonio Spurs were pretty slow with Tim Duncan and the. Uh, you know, David Robinson at the helm. Like they weren't exactly like, you know, they weren't exactly like, again, Showtime, the, sh- the greatest show on the core Kings. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the Kings, maybe the Kings would have had a chance and like, you know, Kings will ultimately go down in history as one of the greatest teams to, you know, not win a championship. And while the 2002 team is the one that gets talked about a lot as like, you know, the team that should have won the championship, this team doesn't get enough love. This team was better. Yeah, it's like I said, it's too bad that we couldn't see any more uh, after this series. But I mean, only if, right? Yeah. Well, that's all we have for this game. Like, ultimately, it's always fun to go back to like just how the Kings used to be. And, you know, maybe one of one of these days, the Kings can kind of get back to number two in defense. And Lord, Lord have mercy if Mike Brown can get them to number two in defense. Like again, the real black Jesus. Mm-hmm. Statue right in front, going one. All right. Well, let's move on to the big news of the week. Week, if you want to call it that. Uh, the NBA released their schedule, although they released it in a very weird way, where like every single like different team had their reporters like slowly review the i guess the more the more important dates of their of their uh of their team so like basically you had 30 teams had their own like reporters slowly you know individually leak out games so it was like a mess for like a few uh, like a few days and then they all and then they actually finally released the full schedule for every single team 
Now, uh, the Kings basically like uh, all they end up getting uh, five national TV games. Now they only get they get one ESPN game, and the rest are uh, part of NBA TV. Think what you want about that, but that's kind of like the that's the one of the notes about the schedule. Um, the other note about the schedule is that at least from what I've come, what I'm seeing and what I've like heard from other podcasts, Kings have a pretty rough schedule for the most part. And it's pretty much throughout the year. Yeah. Like if you go through the schedule and look at some of the back to backs and just like in general, I want to say it's probably 80% is going to be tough. It's like, so here's what I primarily, well, like I didn't even really look at the back-to-backs because those are kind of there. And like the thing with back-to-backs, I like at least with teams playing the Kings on the second night of a back-to-back, I just feel like you can catch some teams by surprise by just being so ready to play while the other team is rested. I I don't know how legit that theory is. I'm not as worried about the back-to-backs is what I'm trying to get at, but Mm -hmm. What I am really concerned about is that, so the Kings have a, so they start out by facing Portland on the 19th, and then they face the Clippers, they face the Golden State, they face Memphis, and then Miami, and then they face Charlotte. But if you kind of count those games, that is only maybe two games that the Kings would be favored to win. But I don't even know if they're favored to win the Portland game. So like, it's, it's going to be a rough start. And then it doesn't exactly get easier in November. They play Miami again. Uh, and then Orlando will be a bit better. They face Golden State. Cleveland's going to be a good team. The Lakers are going to be eh for the most part, I think. And then Golden State again. So within the span of three weeks, yeah, within the span of one, two, three, four, my bad, four weeks or five weeks, you play Golden State three times. That's going to be rough, and the Kings are going to have a really rough start to their season, I think. Yeah, it's a. I, I guess you could say it's a great test to uh, how this team will fend off, but, I mean, this is a whole new team, and I feel like we need the whole season to, you know, get acclimated with each other since, you know, we haven't seen most of these guys on the court together at all. Yeah, and, but at the same time, like it's a lot to ask them to, you know, get acclimated against the Golden State Warriors three times in five weeks. Like that's that's pretty insane. And then don't let's not forget, like Memphis is peppered in there. Like um, again, like two games with Miami is peppered in there. Like it's gonna be pretty rough to start. And like you know, don't be surprised if the Kings get off to to a me- mediocre to bad start. Like. The, the Kings always have had problems, like, you know, taking care of business. Now, the main thing I'm looking forward to them is that they take care of business against what we call bad teams. Like, again, they're like t- games they are favored to win in. Like, for example, the Charlotte. Charlotte, I would assume, would be one of the only games they'd be favored to win. And you need to take care of business if that is the case. Now, those tough teams like Golden State and Memphis, you're going to, like, maybe one, one of these times you're going to catch them like they just don't shoot well or they just you know, they have a bad game and the Kings are able to take advantage, but like those games are 50, 50 at best. And, you know, if you win one, some of those nice, but what I'm looking to, for them to do is to be able to win the team, the win games against the teams that they're supposed to. And we'll see if the Kings can actually do that. 
yeah, we shall see because there's there's quite a few of them that are sprinkled here and there, but it that's pretty much a lot in the later part of the season, really. Uh, so the month of October and November are pretty rough with some really tough teams peppered in there. Every now and then you get like a, again a less, let's just say a, a worse team. But you know, again with the history of how the Kings handle bad teams, we don't know. But basically, th- things don't get easy until December, and then January. It kind January gets a little better, and then February it's okay. But then it ramps up again to uh, in March and April. Like there's, there's like tough games and easy games sprinkled all, all over, but basically they only have really two easy months or what we would consider easy months. And yeah, it's going to, it's going to be a test for the Kings. The Kings are going to have to earn their way into the playoffs. And I, I, I don't know what to think really, but like just looking at the schedule, like I, I just can't get the feeling that Kings are Kings might be missing the playoffs for the 17 year in a row. And possibly even missing a play in. Mm. Uh, I mean, we'll give them some hope, um, and we'll see how you know the West is uh, this season. But I mean, as usual, the West is pretty stacked. But we shall see. I mean, I have some faith when it comes to. I want to say after the All Star break, I I gotta say the All Star break is in beginning of February. Uh, kind of in the middle of February. If you see that little gap in uh, February after the 14th, that's basically when it will happen. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. I see. Oh. Uh, I mean, it'll be a slightly easy uh, schedule before All-Star. After that, hopefully they could get some rest and uh, fend off themselves going on to March. Yeah, it's it's going to be, there again, they're going to have to earn it. And you just hope that, you know, every year some weird something weird happens, like a, a team underperforms or a team overperforms, and then that kind of throws things, like, into flux. I think there's definitely a good chance that the Kings can make the playoffs. And, like, they might even make the sixth seed, so they don't have to do the play-in. But there is every chance in the world where they're in that play-in range or could even drop out. Honestly, like which is I'm looking at just some of the schedule and I, I don't I don't know if I can trust the Kings to maintain the level of consistency to be able to beat enough bad teams to make mm-hmm. it so like they can actually survive losing against good teams. But again, it's you never know uh, just like how things will play out. But yeah, just looking at just how the Kings start out so hard and then end so hard as well and during March and April. It's going to be tough for me to see them make the playoffs. Oh, yeah. So what are your thoughts on their uh, win-loss by the end of the season? Or where were you projecting for pro- after seeing this? I would project, pro- well, like just seeing this, I, I didn't do like every single game, but like my yeah. prediction was more or less they win around 38 games. Mm, I For me, I still want 41-41. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's going to be tough. I mean, it's definitely possible, like, you know, like uh, another, maybe a bounce back year from De'Aaron Fox, like uh, coach Mike Brown's coaching really likes, you know, sets, sets a great tone, sets a great foundation for the Kings. The the new players really acclimate, like everyone is shooting well, everyone's playing defense. And, you know, not, not to say that I wish this happened, but like there's every chance in the world some sort of injury happens or honestly some weird trade happens that throws the entire NBA into flux. Let's not forget Kevin Durant is creeping out there right now. 
maybe he ends up on another team. Maybe we, maybe like a, a team gets worse. Maybe Donovan Mitchell goes to the Knicks and you know, the Utah is hopefully a, a win every single time we see them this year. <laughs> like, And then of course, like the Lakers are just weird. Like, I don't know what to think about them. Um, so there, there's stuff that could happen, but like it is, it's going to be, it's it's going to be a game to game thing, but be ready for a rough start, I think. Oh, yeah, I could see that. Okay, well, that's all I have for the uh, schedule. Anything else you want to quickly talk about before, you know, we call it a day? Ah, I actually forgot. <clears throat> Yesterday was uh, the preseason game to the 49ers and Savvy wasn't able to watch most of it. But, I mean, looking at the defense, it looks pretty nice. I didn't know Kinwell was uh, played. You just said a bunch of words that I have no idea what they actually mean. So I will nod in in agreement. Uh, Yes, the 49ers are very good. I I forgot. (laughs) You don't really watch it. But maybe someday we'll watch a 49ers game. Sadly, uh, I, I will say if I'm actually getting into football, I'm picking another team. Too, too many 49ers fans around here. I like to be a hipster about this one. Mm. You, you might want to choose the Jets. <laughs> Why? Aren't they bad? Yeah. Well, I'm not that hipster. I'm like, I already, I already followed damn Kings. I, I can't stand this much losing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But uh, yeah, we'll see which uh, team you may choose. But uh, yeah, the preseason's coming up, uh, or, you know, slowly coming uh, to an end. Uh, we'll see how the Niners will fend off because uh, it seems like their defense is going to be, I, I want to say top five, but some say it's projected top one or two in the uh, next season. So, yeah, we'll see. Are you going to put a bet? Well, yeah, are you going to put a bet down that the, that the Niners are going to, you know, win the Super Bowl, possibly? Are you confident enough of them to do that? I mean, as a Niners fan, I should, but at the same time, I am I mean, a lot of variables can happen in football. That's the that's the thing with football. There's too many variables uh, when it comes to uh, the game of football. Like, I didn't even, like last year when we played against the Packers, I didn't think we were going to win against the Packers, but all of a sudden, we won against the Packers, and you know, uh, whatchamacallit, they never beaten us in, uh, whatchamacallit, in the playoffs, I believe. Yeah, I would say so. So what I, so I'll be honest, I tuned out of the second half of that, <laughs> half of your uh, your statement there. But th- this that, that statement just kind of reminds me of when your girlfriend or your boyfriend asks you, do you love me? And you're like, uh, like, yeah, yeah, but no, like, but yeah, I think I, I think I do. It's what I'm saying. So what I'm hearing is that you are not committed to this team. It's, it's tough because it's like, this to me, this is love is tough. I know this does not have logic to it. I I have faith that Trey Lance can take us far, but I mean, I haven't seen him much in the, you know, a regular season team with, you know, hopefully everyone helpful. Do you? You just don't believe in the power of the third pick. He was the third pick, right? Yeah. It's just that, uh, you know, now that I think about it, everyone is healthy and I hope that we stay healthy until, uh, you know, we, uh, we go to a playoffs. So I have, I have faith that uh, we will make it that far. 
Which one's more likely? Kings make the playoffs. Uh, by playoffs, I mean six seed. Oh, or Niners okay. win the Super Bowl. Winning the Super Bowl? Winning the winning, Super Bowl is tough. Winning the Super, winning the Super Bowl, yes. Winning the Super Bowl is tough. G- give me a percentage. Would it be more than 10%? More than, what about, how about this? Was it more than 5%? Of the Niners making the Super Bowl? or Winning, winning the Super Bowl. Oh, I would say, yeah, around that area, 5 10%. Okay. I, I feel like they are pretty good contenders, but we'll have to see what the rest of the league... What would you put as the percentage of the Kings being able to make the six seed or above? This season? This season. Oh, boy. <laughs> I want to say, whew, I want to say below 2%. Below 2%. And that's before you even take into factor that the Kings have missed the playoffs for 16 seasons. Now, granted, each individual season is different. But you can't deny that there is that has a bit of a weird mental effect. There is a cloud on this on this franchise, and it will take a lot to lift it. Yeah, well, oh, yeah, we'll see. Because West, in my opinion, so far, well, it's pretty tough. Now we'll see how everything you know falls into whether it's our favor or you know other teams' favors. But yeah, it's. It's going to be tough to gain to that top six uh, seed. I, I just want to see us actually make it for once before thinking about going higher. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so, okay, one, one more thing about, since we'll move back to the Kings, I, I guess, or no, it, it won't be about the Kings. We'll move back to the NBA basketball. So I need you, I need your help with uh, just, so I'm dealing with some, a little bit of cognitive dissonance. So there, so we we're still dealing with the Kevin Durant shenanigans. Uh, uh-huh. trying to get traded from from the nets so yeah. one of the sleeper teams has always been the new orleans because they have a lot of draft picks i think i i think i heard somewhere that if, even if they trade eight draft picks for kevin durant they still would have seven left that's how many draft picks they have wow okay yes so like they've always been a sleeper team to trade for kevin durant and one and where you have to start is that you have to start with brandon ingram Oh no. You have okay. to you just have to. And so like so let's let's do part one of the question. Would you trade Brandon Ingram for Kevin Durant? How old is Brandon Ingram? Because he's still a young player. Drafted in 2016. So I believe he's around like 24, 25. So he's still fairly young. This is even though it's Kevin Durant, I know it's Kevin Durant. This is a 33-year-old Kevin Durant. Turning or, 34, I believe. So too, turning so. 34. Geez. Um which and his contract's ending in like what a year or two, or did no, he get he's extended? Got four years left. Oh, geez, straight okay. up, no player option, no nothing. Ooh, I mean, for sure, you're making the playoffs every single year with Kevin Durant and your team if he plays. But if you want to trade Brandon Ingram for that, man, uh, depends on the deal. And it's going to be a big deal for him to get into the Nets, too. It will be a big deal, yes. And so, like, here's where I have a little bit of cognitive cognitive dissonance. So, like, there's always the infallible argument is, like, he's Kevin fucking Durant. He's go- he's one of the best players, like, top, arguably top 10 players of all time. He's going mm-hmm. to eat. When you trade for him, even if you give up Brandon Ingram, as long as you kept a certain amount of depth, like, let's just say you don't, 
I mean, I, I assume CJ will be on that team. I don't think Brooklyn would take CJ. Mm-hmm. And like, let's say you trade away Jonas, Jonas Valanciunas or Jackson Hayes or like just one of those. Uh-huh. You still have a decent enough team to probably build around Kevin Durant to like at least get you to the playoffs. And when you get to the playoffs, you have an inherent advantage in a lot of in a lot of series because you have Kevin fucking Durant. Yeah. Like, and the goal of your, the goal of every organization in the NBA is to win a championship. Kevin Durant gives you, gives you that opportunity that you are going to be in the hunt for. However, that does mean you gut a lot of your team. And this is a thing that I'll I'll be honest, when I first heard about, like heard it, like from Will Guillory of The Athletic, he covers the uh, New Orleans Pelicans, does a great job. He was talking about how David Griffin loves what he's built with Brandon Ingram, how he's the culture setter of that team. Mm-hmm. And again, I kind of rolled my eyes at that. I was like, that's 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 cute. Like, that's really nice. Like, you're an eight seed, maybe you're like, um, you know, you're, you're maybe, maybe an eight seed. Maybe you're a six seed with I for, totally forgot he was on the team. Zion Williamson, you know, <laughs> yeah, with Zion Williamson. And like, so I kind of roll my eyes at it. But then I think about it. That's what the Nets kind of did. They kind of just said, fuck it to all of our culture pieces. Like, I don't know how big, you know, D'Angelo like contributed to that culture, but like they fight, they, first of all, they signed DeAndre Jordan, which that, that doesn't hurt the culture, but they gave him actual money to sign them. And then they also fired Kenny Atkinson. They basically turned their entire franchise to Kevin Durant. And assuming that if this trade does happen, you will have to, New Orleans will have to do that. Basically, it, that team is going to be completely different. And judging from history, probably for the worse, except that you get Kevin Durant, which is a big positive. But like in terms of culture, you're probably going to take a little bit of a step back, but you have a chance to win a championship. Like, uh, do you do that again? Essentially, would be would be, I guess, your I would be my question to you, but you already wouldn't trade Brandon Ingram. So I kind of know your answer. Yeah. But at the same time, like, what do you think of that? Would you, I guess, turn your franchise over to Kevin Durant again? Which means you're probably going to have to make a few trades that may not be as favorable. But would you take a chance to do that if you are to win a championship in New Orleans? Well, since New Orleans isn't my team, I probably would. But if it were the Kings... I probably wouldn't because I want some homegrown talent in our team, to be honest. And this kind of reminds me of, uh, and then again, like you see uh, these kind of news here and there every now and then with the Kings and uh, Kevin Durant situation. I remember seeing a, a trade, a potential trade, quote unquote, from a Bleacher Report where we somehow get Kevin Durant and do you want to, I, I just pulled it up. Do you want to know what the Brooklyn Nets received? which I highly doubt Brooklyn Nets was going to allow this. I assume it starts with De'Aaron Fox. No, actually, for some reason, we keep De'Aaron. So the big three is going to be De'Aaron, Kevin Durant, and Sabonis somehow. Okay. But we have to give up Keegan Murray, which... Mm-hmm. And I is, think Dave Davion... I think I saw a version. Davion's in that deal too, yeah, right? Davion, Barnes, Holmes... Uh, 2026 and a 2028 unprotected first round picks. I feel like there's going to be more picks involved if that's the case. 
I don't, well, they would have to do something with the Atlanta trade. So I, so we got to keep, keep Kevin Herter in that deal. Hmm. That's interesting. You'll have to fill out the rest of the team, and that's where I get concerned. That's not a bad team, but the defense is going to be an issue. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's interesting. It's interesting, yeah. I wouldn't do it if I was the Kings just because KD's not been healthy for, for a while. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's going to miss a lot of games, and I just don't know if you make the playoffs that way. Like, you know, if he's healthy for all, you know, for let's just say 60 some games, you probably make the playoffs. But at the same time, like the health risks are substantial enough to the point where I wouldn't do it. But like, let's just say if you can, I hate to say this, but like if you, if you trade De'Aaron Fox instead and maybe keep one of Davion or Keegan Murray, I would think about it. I would say, oh man, at that point, I don't know who would be our. Okay, this is a did tough you just one. Say, to did do. you just say? Did you just say who would be our point guard? Kevin Durant will be your point guard because he will make give you points. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> I was thinking about that, but in my mind, I was thinking if you were to have a choice between Keegan Murray and Davion, who would you choose to keep? Probably, I hate to say it, probably Keegan, just because he's a wing. Like, as good as Davion is, and again, great culture setter. Yeah. You're not going to have much culture with Kevin Durant around anyways. Let's be honest. Yeah, that's where I would agree to, because I'm like, as much as I love Davion Mitchell, yeah, it's. I feel like he can be replaceable in, you know, future whatever uh whatchamacallit trades or signings or drafts but yeah it's 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 a tough one because i would probably need something back from the nets as well other than just kevin durant i know i'm getting kevin durant but like if you, you got to give me like seth curry or something hmm. maybe but no i don't think that would work in fact i probably would want someone to play defense honestly like the issue with the brooklyn nets last year they didn't have anyone to play defense yeah. Like they need, you need somebody other than KD to guard everyone on the team. And, you know, it's, it's tough. Um, like, again, if it involves like trading away De'Aaron Fox, it'd probably be a little better just because like, again, like if you have KD and De'Aaron, that is a lot, that is going to be a lot of missed games more than likely between mm-hmm. the two. And I just don't know how that works. Um, yeah. I mean, it's tough. But like again, if you can if you can trade away again, I hate to say this, you can trade a D, trade away De'Aaron in that trade, and you know one of Keegan or or Davion, I think I would do it. Yeah, you know, you know culture be damned. It's not like there's been culture here anyways. Um, it's like the main point of my just cognitive cognitive dissonance is that like if you are the Brooklyn Nets, like rewind back to 2019, would you do what they did? Again, uh, what do you mean? Sign, sign Kevin Durant, sign Kyrie Irving, sign DeAndre Jordan. Mm, I mean, gosh, yeah, that was that was a crazy year because they had a lot of great pieces before that, and then all that happened. So, ooh, to be honest, it's hard to tell where the Nets would be if that never even happened. But uh, 
it's hard to not imagine now uh, how the Nets would be if they didn't do that as well. So, I mean, if it were the Nets, I mean, they have to do something big, right? What do you mean? Like, I feel like they should have because it's for me, I I can't imagine how the Nets would fare out if they kept the team prior to all of that. That's my opinion. I would 100% do it again because people kind of romanticize how good that Nets team was. They were that good. They weren't that good. They were like a seven seed, if I remember right. They were not, they weren't that high in the uh, pecking order. And again, mm-hmm. you were being led by D'Angelo Russell. You were going to have a ceiling there anyways. Um, I would do that. I would do that deal every single time because again, ultimately the goal is to win a championship and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, they were close last year. Let's not forget, but you know, not last two years ago now, but like, you know, Kevin Durant was almost about almost able to take down the Milwaukee Bucks by himself. Like Kyrie doesn't get hurt. They probably win the championship. You know, James Harden has two legs, two hamstrings, as opposed to just one, probably won the championship. Like, people forget how good they were, like, when everyone played. Apparently, they only played, like, 10 games together, which is, wow, the wow. whole time. Really? That's incredible. And, like, it's, you know, that they're one of, like, history's biggest one-ifs. Like, it's just, you know, the pandemic had to hit. The vaccine stuff happened. And then, you know, that pissed off James Harden. We just, that was a championship team. Now, granted, even, I think, with James Harden, like, they probably could have beaten the Celtics. Like, Maybe, but like the Celtics were so good last year, and I just don't know. But like, let's let's not forget the year the Bucks won. They Nets, if they were healthy, probably would have wiped the floor with the Nets, and then or wiped the floor with the Bucks, and then probably won the championship pretty easily, honestly. But you know, we'll never know. But again, if I were the Nets during the 2019 offseason, if I can upgrade from D'Angelo Russell to Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. I do that 1,000 times out of 1,000. Now, granted, with the Kings now, with, with this King situation, the hypothetical that you pre- presented out, I just don't know the health of Kevin Durant going forward. And I mm-hmm. don't know the health of, like, say, De'Aaron Fox or whoever's left. And I can't guarantee that they get to the playoffs. I just can't. And I, that's why I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see what you mean. Even though, again, you get Kevin fucking Durant. Yeah. Now, would you be willing to do that in the future? Now, I, I think I already know this answer, to be for honest. For a different star or for Kevin Durant? Uh, You could, let's just go with Kevin Durant again. Just no, just because he's older. Yeah. I know he's really good, but like just with the, the you know, the age stuff is is going to start catching up to him at some point. Not everyone can be LeBron. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I, I'll probably eat my words and he'll be really good up until he's like 39. Yeah, because we still want to see what, uh, the Kings team now has to offer because I mean we haven't seen them uh, perform yet. So I mean, and we have the one some of the highest hopes we've had in years. So I kind of want to see how this fares off, and then we could, you know, just we could make some moves in the future. Of course, now look, hope is a dangerous thing. Just because last year I was hopeful too, I think I was just I as hopeful as this year. I've learned. I'm gonna I'm gonna be curious. I'm gonna be cautious with this one. <laughs> Are you more hopeful this year <laughs> than last year? No, I say about the same, honestly. Because honestly, last year, let's not forget the vibes were so good going into the offseason, go like going into the season. 
They had an incredible, they won the summer league championship. Davion's going to change the culture. He was online to be the real black Jesus. Let's not forget. He was going to, he was going to fix the defense. And then, yeah, you know, we're going to get, you know, year two Tyrese. He was so good in his first year. He's going to be phenomenal his second year. And, you know, De'Aaron's going to keep progressing, you know, scoring 25 points per game. I think seven assists the the year previous. And we're going to, and now you have depth. You have Terrence Davis coming off the bench. You have, you know, Buddy Heel, like, you know, now bump back to the bench. And you you just have more depth. Mm-hmm. Didn't mount to shit. So there you go. Oh, man. I'm just saying, there was an offseason. Now, granted, a lot of people were logically skeptical of the Kings just because the talent level wasn't there. But, like, we were optimistic just because we thought, like, continuity. Like, Luke Walton. Like, you know, finally gets his third year. Kenny Atkinson broke out in his third year as a coach. Like, maybe we get some of that. And it just didn't happen. So, it, I, I am hopeful. But I'm very cautious. That's why I'm not picking them to make the playoffs. They might. I think they'll make the play in. But I don't think they'll make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we shall see. Yeah, we'll see. Hate, hate to be a downer on that one, but it, 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 just gonna, just gonna like you know, temper your expectations. Don't you know, go through the cycle of disappointment every single year. Like, even though I've not been the Kings fan for all that long, like I've learned already. Like this team finds a way. Yeah, sadly, I'm one of those Kings fans that's pretty optimistic every season. Then when the time comes where I notice something's not going right, that's where it goes downhill. Yeah, and, and let's hope that this is not one of those cases. I believe me, I want a good King season because it was awful. Like it legitimately hurt hurt to like review games after losses. Like I don't want to go on social media. I don't want to talk about it, but we have to because we're because we are just that dedicated of a fan, and like we want to be rewarded for it. Yeah, I feel like for this season, I feel like regardless of loss, I feel like most of the losses. Uh, coming to this season will be good losses, if you know what I mean. Hopefully. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, you have anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I think that's about it, to be honest. Yep. Well, I don't have anything on my docket. Uh, so, yeah. Um, next episode, we'll see what comes out uh, on the news. So far, honestly, not much. We'll probably end up having to talk about something else, unless something else happens. But as it stands right now, it is it is the 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 was it the desert of the season, no, the dog days of the season, and it's going to continue up until something happens with Kevin Durant, and you know until the season starts. Yep, we shall see because it's it's been holding everything back still, and not many news has uh, come out in terms of trades, and uh, hopefully we'll hear some more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Okay, well, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we'll catch you guys on the next one, and we'll see what the next episode is, because I have no idea right now. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll see you guys later.